0: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another fantastic episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 79, Series 10 Recap. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my podcasting companion through time and space, we have
1: Paul Gant. Alonzi. Z! How's it going, Paul? <laughs> it's fantastic. We're getting a chance to enjoy the company of some really great guests, so you guys are in for a real treat.
0: Yeah, so um longtime listeners of Talking Time Wars will probably remember our guests, but it's been a while since we've had them on. When we discussed our Series 9 recap a year and a half ago, please welcome the gentleman from the Bad Wolf Radio podcast, another Doctor Who podcast that you should be listening to. Yes. Aaron Goins and Adam Farmer. How are you doing, gentlemen? Hey. I am doing great. How about you, Adam? How are you
2: doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. Doing well. This is, I had like this a Poe Dameron <laughs>
3: moment there for a second. I was like... Do you talk first or do I talk first?
2: (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I was trying to figure that out. Not used to to this one. This is going to be fun. Oh my gosh, yes. And there's our Star
0: Wars reference. (laughs) Yes, we have our Star Wars reference for the show now. Thank you very much, gentlemen. It's it's nice to not be the ones having to create that. (laughs) Okay. Do you hear audio difference? Aaron's computer decided to to not cooperate, and so he's calling in on his cell phone. So we've got Aaron live from mobile. So... (laughs)
2: Just to let you know, Aaron, I've already covered everything that you would say. So you spoke for both of us. <laughs> I, I, I just shared your opinion. Our, our opinions are are the same. One oh, opinion. Okay. We are we are Bad Wolf Radio. Right.
1: <laughs> it sounds more like Cyberman to me. For anyone that's ever listened
3: to Bad Wolf Radio, they know that's not true. We usually have oh. very very different opinions. Yes. <laughs>
0: So this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, We're going to, however, jump right into some news real quick before we talk about Series 10. Uh, We're recording this on Tuesday, the 25th of July, and as of this weekend, two days ago to be exact, uh, we had a nice little trailer drop at San Diego Comic-Con for the Christmas special, uh, which we now know is going to be called Twice Upon a Time. And Of course, we need to talk about this, so we might as well do it here with the Mad Wolf Radio guys. So, real quick, let's go around, and I want to get everybody's initial thoughts of Twice Upon a Time. Let's go ahead and start with Adam.
2: Adam, what do you think? I'm excited. Uh, just being up front, just going to drop it right there. I'm excited, of course, because it's going to be Doctor Who again coming back Christmas time. Um, number two, because the incredible mustache, Mark Geddes, is rocking. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's pretty incredible in and of itself, but... Also, I mean, we got two doctors together. What what can't be good about having two doctors together? The quality looks, looks incredible. Uh, yeah, I'm stoked to see what happens. Paul?
1: You know, what really clinched it for me, I think, was the shot in the trailer where uh, William Hartnell morphed <laughs> into David Bradley. Uh, that just really, it, I think he's going to do a fantastic job. And... I think he's going to be the real, the real clincher that makes that episode so special.
0: Yeah. I'm really excited about that. Aaron. Yeah. I think Paul nailed it. The, I think David Bradley
3: is such a perfect casting. And when they did that kind of morph scene, it was just this seamless transition where I'm going to, there's, I don't have to like pretend (laughs) that this is the first doctor. Like it's going to really feel like the first doctor. Um, I think it helps that he has already portrayed the first doctor and something else. Um, So it's kind of already something that I've accepted. You know, he's just a, an actor that um, I have accepted that plays that role. So I'm just I think it's such a cool idea. I never would have expected Christmas special for Capaldi's last episode to be a doctor team up. You know, we just got a doctor team up not that long ago and they usually space them out pretty far. So this is, you know, to have the 12th doctor team up with the first doctor is literally something I never would have come up with the possibility in Doctor Who.
0: Well, it's it's definitely one of the things that clinched this for me is something I'm very excited about because uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of the classic <laughs> series, as, as people who've listened to the show probably know. Um, and and I enjoy the first Doctor. Um, there are some times where I just go back and watch some of his episodes because I, I like him. But uh, so seeing yeah that, that opening shot of William Hartnell morphing into uh, David Bradley was sealed the deal and told me, oh, goody, this is going to be great. <laughs> Uh, And then on top of that, the trailer ends with the reveal that Bill is coming back for the Christmas special, which um, I thought was nice since we're going to actually have the doctor and Bill be able to say goodbye. At least, you know, it's not going to be like she says goodbye to the doctor or he says goodbye to her, but we don't actually have them saying goodbye to each other, which was a little awkward. We're at least going to get some sort of closure for the two of them, which I think is important. But it looks like a really interesting episode. It doesn't look like it's gonna be, you know, from what we can tell at this point, maybe a huge like antagonist, but like a, a just a, a problem in time that's they're racing against the clock to fix, uh, which has me curious. And then of course that shot of seeing the doctors in their side by side Tardis is stepping outside, <laughs> made me very happy as well.
1: And it looks like they're going to have the the first Doctor's actual Tardis style in the episode as well. It looks like that we're going to get to see a, a throwback version. Oh yeah, uh, exterior wise, I think that's going to be cool.
2: Yeah, there's definitely a noticeable difference between the Tardises in that scene when they when they step out. <laughs> yeah, even
3: like in size, not even just in the paint color or, or whatever. It just the classic Tardis looks a lot smaller. The, the current artist
0: yeah it is so yeah that that makes me happy to see that they're being very true to the era that william hartnell's doctor is from um in the costume in the acting and in the the design of everything for him so i'm very excited. just think about it
3: david bradley could actually be a poor actor in this and it would just seem like he's in character as the first doctor
2: Ooh, Burn. Oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, what? i mean come on oh, <laughs> Oh, knew who strikes what? first. First blood. First blood.
3: What? Uh, hey, I could. I I have actually watched most of the first Doctor stuff, so that's I can speak somewhat intellectually about the character. I mean, there's some noticeable, you know. Yeah, eh, it's time. I mean, it's the time, but it
0: was it, hard to watch some of that stuff, Jason. Yes, there's some of it that's hard to watch, but some of it I find rather enjoyable. No, so. I found
3: it very enjoyable, and in fact, I think the Doctor, the first Doctor, is actually um, near and dear to me because it most experience I have with the classic series is with the first doctor and me and Adam watched through a lot of his adventures. And I think it's just a really fun, you know, he's the original, the original doctor. Um, and so it's really fun to see that stuff, but it's a different era, you know, a different type of entertainment. Oh yeah. The way it was presented, the, you know, even just the resources they had at hand. I mean, they're not able to take multiple takes, you know, they're having to do a lot of the stuff in one take, you know, taking all that into account. It's, it was a, it was a great, Production for its time, but it's definitely a noticeable difference than what we see in modern entertainment. That's very true. It's very, very true.
1: We've pointed out a few a few mishaps and things in the show, in the classic series ourselves. It's not like we've never had anything funny to say about that kind of thing. I remember there was one specific time where I pointed out to Jason, I said, you can tell specifically that that shot on a stage inside because you can see the shadow of the actor on the sky behind them
0: <laughs> yes yes the backdrop
1: you know so, painted backdrops yeah, and all that fun and yeah, of course there's so
0: you know the one take issue was definitely evident in hartnell's later years as he uh would have to you know ad-lib because he couldn't remember the line exactly and uh <laughs> that didn't always work out quite right <laughs> no. well back to well, the I'm... christmas special though isn't capaldi's hair on point oh my gosh it just keeps getting
3: longer yes. every time we see him. <laughs> his hair is amazing, and if you look at if you look at the way he looked when he first came onto the scene as the twelfth Doctor, he actually had like really calm down hair. You know, it was like nice, it was really short, over really short, and now it's just it's a whole different thing. But I love how his hair has progressed to just get more and more unkempt and more and more wild, and even now, like even different from the finale that we just watched. You know, I know this is supposed to basically happen like right away. It, his hair has grown. You know, I don't yes. know if it's part of him fighting the regeneration is like pa- causing his hair to grow faster, but it but it looks awesome.
1: Oh, man. Well, you know, it's an homage to John Pertwee. I mean, John Pertwee had short hair when he started as the doctor, and you saw what his looked like when he finished. It was about as unruly
0: and mopish as what <laughs> Tom Baker would end up having.
1: It looked like a white cotton ball, Jason.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that is true. <laughs> I'm just curious to see how the two doctors play off of each other. I don't know. Hartnell's doctor never really struck me as a individual of action he would be more that one that handed out advice not necessarily one that would immediately jump into a fray himself whereas new who doctors capaldi i mean no exception to Capaldi either jump into action so what's the dynamic between the two doctors going to look like what is it going to feel like are, are they going to be respectful of how the first doctor was um at least in the the episodes that aaron and i had the the ability to watch that's I'm curious to see how they play off of each
0: other. Yeah, definitely. The first Doctor, also, while he definitely had quite a few companions, he didn't always seem like a team player either. Yeah, Uh, He kept his own counsel half the time and was not very liberal in giving out what he knew hardly ever until it was time to reveal it to everybody. Right. When he could walk (laughs) out on his stage and say, ha ha, here's what I've discovered, and then show everybody up at the end, Uh, which is something that a lot of the Doctors do to some extent, but... The first doctor seemed to keep it even closer to the chest than than most. It'll be interesting to see the first doctor trying to work together with a future incarnation of himself and how that interaction goes down. Do we know who Mark Gatiss is playing? No, we don't know. He's the captain is all that we know. I've seen speculation that he is a young Lethbridge Stewart or a relative of Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart. I definitely don't think he is actually going to be playing the Brigadier. No. Because the, the personality does not seem to jive at all. But he might be like his father, perhaps. I don't know. Because he says that he's supposed to be someone who's got connections to Doctor Who or something like that. Yeah, he says something like, here we go again. Yeah.
3: yeah. Made me think that maybe he was a character from the classic series I just wasn't aware of.
0: Uh, no, not as far as I'm aware. Um, he's He's called the Captain is the only name that they've released for him. My suspicion, if anything, is he'll be related to... The brigadier, but I don't think he's young enough to play an, a young brigadier in this. No, especially since it looks like we're seeing World War One going on, and that's way too long ago for the brigadier to be out and running around.
2: So I'm I'm glad you said that about World War One because I'm I'm really curious if this is going to play off the uh, the the Christmas truce that took place in World War One, and if they're going to take a historical event and essentially retcon it and make the Doctor responsible for the truce that took place. During World War One, on Christmas time, between the armies, yeah, that would be really cool. Wow, I would be okay with that. I'm intrigued. I mean the two <laughs> the two guys in the trenches, frozen, pointing guns at each other. That was my first thought. Was wow, this is going to be a really cool historical Christmas special where they basically gave us an out of world explanation for why the Christmas truce really took place. Uh, I I would be okay with that. I would really actually enjoy that. I think.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Anything else before we move on? Nah. Okay, good. <laughs> we got a lot to talk about here. <laughs> series ten. Real quick, I to get everyone's quick two sentence overall impression of series ten. Uh, it was a bit of a roller coaster ride for me. It started out really
3: strong, and then like plummeted for me. Uh, but then it finished really strong. And then in a retrospect, I actually overall uh, enjoyed the season a lot more than I think I thought I did as I was watching through it the first time. So, um, yeah, I think it was a, a positive season for Capaldi. Maybe not quite as strong a season as I maybe had hoped for him going out. Of course, we still have the Christmas special uh, for the cherry on top. But overall, it was kind of your typical Doctor Who season, some ups, some downs. Um a couple of really, really good episodes, and not any really, really bad episodes.
1: Classic Who goodness, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, for me, it was just covered in in Classic Who gravy. You know, it was it was a big the entire season was just a big call out to Classic Who, and I thought that was extremely fitting for both Stephen Moffat and Peter Capaldi to go out on that note because they're both Classic Who fans from way back and. I think that that's something that we were kind of afraid of getting with the Davies episodes and the Davies seasons. He wasn't as comfortable in going back to the classic series. And the longer Stephen Moffat stayed on the show, the more callbacks he made to classic Who. And I just really appreciated that.
2: Yeah, I think it was the strongest series Capaldi was given. It wasn't flawless by any stretch of the imagination um but as aaron mentioned definitely more highs than lows this series uh something that we talked about on our last episode there there wasn't a a terrible episode that looked to be in each one of capaldi's series prior to this one so it was a <laughs> it was a solid solid series in my opinion um not quite the way i wanted to see capaldi go out i wish it was a little bit stronger but I think it was his best, um, best series that he was given.
1: So, so you're saying that you wish that we had gotten another Sandman episode as opposed to the Martians episode, right? <laughs> uh, no, I'm actually, I'm actually pleased that we didn't get a Sandman or Kill the Moon episode. Um,
2: those, those were the two ringers from the two previous series. Uh, yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm cool that Gannis never finished that story. <laughs> oh, oh don't, don't tempt him. He'll come back and he'll finish it with Chibnall. Um, uh, that's going to be the Christmas special. <laughs> I mean, we're calling it right here, right now. <laughs> no, that, that's how this Christmas special ends. Everybody's a, an iBooger monster oh, at that point. Oh my part. gosh.
1: <laughs> Spoilers.
0: I'm largely riding a high here at the end of Series 10 uh, because there was there was so much strong stuff that Peter Capaldi got to, to sink his teeth into it's not perfect yeah there's ups and downs and you know obviously the the series is not uh a completely smooth trajectory you know in, in the way that it, it it tells the story but I, I'm I'm definitely of the opinion this is probably the best uh series Peter Capaldi got and it's unfortunate to be his last series before we got some of the the greatness that was that was here in series 10 ugh He's my favorite doctor of the modern series. And, and it's just disappointing that it gets to his last hurrah before we get some of this this goodness that he's able to do. And it just frustrates me that the writers and the showrunners can't always get everything lined up properly <laughs> until the end of a run sometimes. But that's sort of going to bleed into my next point that I want to bring up. Uh, with, with this being Capaldi's last series, his swan song, how do you think series 10... Did, for the doctor. Did, it, did it work well for the Doctor, in your opinion? Was the story compelling enough? Was he challenged enough? That sort of thing. And I'll give this to whoever wants to jump in there first. I'll jump in
3: because <laughs> it kind of continues on what I was saying about it being maybe not quite as strong a season for Capaldi as I had hoped for. I, I think anytime you have a Doctor going out, you know, best case scenario, you just have a season full of every episode is amazing. And we all know that's probably never going to happen with Doctor Who. There's always going to be some ups and downs. And just a lot of that is just down to personal preference. Um, they're going to have some episodes that cater to a certain type of mentality, and some that don't. But I think all in all, I, I think they did well for the Doctor. I think they, I think with the inclusion of, with Missy, uh, kind of playing a major role in the end of of his run, uh, bringing back John Sims' version of the Master is a huge deal uh, for Doctor Who lore in general. Uh, so to have him kind of roll in as well was pretty awesome. Um, so I think I think overall it was a really good ending for the doctor for this version of the doctor. And I, and we still have more to come, you know, with the Christmas special. And I mean, if you have, you have two, you have a master team up as the finale of the regular season. And now we get a doctor team up as his Christmas finale. So I think really, I mean, any, any of the uh, other doctor who actors may be a a bit jealous of some of the uh, things that Capaldi got at the end.
2: Yeah. I mean, knock it, knock it how we, we (laughs) might, depending on where we point out different stumbles from the series. That's it's where else could they have done better (laughs) for the doctor uh, this series, like like Aaron mentioned, they they gave us Missy, they gave us John Sim, they tried some really interesting things that may or may not have worked. But they they gave us Nardal as more of a, a valet than a companion, someone who was somewhat of an equal. They gave us an interesting companion again, lover or hater. We got Bill. Um, they made the Doctor blind again. I would might call it a stumble, but they tried something. It started out strong, it ended super strong. I'm not sure how they could have given us more. They busted out classic villains, monsters, uh, and the list goes on. It. I would have liked to see something else, but I don't know what that is.
1: I felt like that it gave us a very, very powerful ending for this incarnation for the Doctor because it kind of brought everything to a head. We, you know, We started out with the first series with him asking, am I a good man? And by the end of this series... He's literally saying, I do this because it's kind, you know, it showed a full circle transition for him, not even knowing who he was as a person anymore to him, knowing this is what I stand for. This is why I do it. I, you know, and, and knowing that he felt so passionate about who he was as a man at that point that he did not even want to regenerate into another incarnation because he didn't want to stop being the person that he was. And I thought that was a really fitting way to, to tie everything together, you know, (laughs) it also goes to show how stubborn Capaldi is. Um, Yeah,
0: definitely. (laughs) So, um, I, uh, I, I'm going to try and keep my gushing to a minimum here <laughs> uh, because it undermines my credibility. <laughs> like I've said, the, the, Peter's my my favorite modern doctor, so I, I think this was a, a great season for him. And I love the fact that, that they tried to do something unique and risky with him by making him blind for a good chunk of the season. It was four episodes. That's like a third of the season where he's blind or you know, pretending that he's not. You know, So it was... It was like three or four episodes, so it was it was really interesting to see how that all transpired and the Doctor having to come to grips with the fact that this is a weakness and the, or this is an issue that he's not used to, this vulnerability that he's not used to having to deal with. And he has to rely on other people, but he doesn't want them to be taking care of them because he's the Doctor, he takes care of them. It was a risk. I'm not sure it worked completely the way they wanted it to, but... I appreciated the risk and I appreciated the storytelling that they did in order to take that risk. So I thought that was cool, but I'm also pleased that, uh, you know, it ended so strong for him, especially the last uh, four episodes of the season are very, very strong, in my opinion. The finale was just great because I love the Cybermen. They're probably (laughs) my favorite Doctor Who monster of all time. So, uh, seeing the classic Cybermen show back up and be absolutely (laughs) terrifying—probably the freakiest scene in all of modern Doctor Who—is that scene in the hospital. Yeah, where there's they're just sitting there pushing the button, going pain, pain. Yeah, kill me, please, (laughs) kill me, please. It's. Freaky as all get-out. And I'm like, holy schnikes! <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, oh. So I, I'm glad to see classic monsters coming back in a way that works in the modern series. Um, and I think that's probably one of the most successful iterations that they were able to do with that. And, of course, it's going to tie into what we're getting in Twice Upon a Time with the First Doctor and the Twelfth Doctor teaming up. So, you know, that'll be fun, too.
2: Yeah, I, I, I did appreciate how they approach a classic monster, villain, whatever, however you want to refer to him in the Cyberman. that I I'm, I'm fully on board with you. Like that was legitimately scary. Something that could have been hokey, uh, something that could have been just chalked up to, okay, a little bit of fan service there. They're tossing them back in kind of a a going away present to Capaldi, but how they approached them and how they were fleshed out in that episode, legitimately scary. (laughs) Like they, they are a, a frightening, Entity within Doctor Who. Yeah,
1: the more those that version of the Cybermen show up, I'm on board with it. Nice. I want to see them come back too. (laughs) If I had to criticize anything, it would be the fact that there were certain places where we got the same kinds of things that bug me a little bit by what we've been getting in the past from Stephen Moffat, because he writes a lot of these stories with the assumption that we don't need to know any of the backstory as to what's going on. We just need to know what's happening right now. (laughs) So, as much as I liked some of these stories, I'll just make an example. You know, we got absolutely no true backstory for the Puddle Girl in the first episode (laughs) at all. We were able to piece things together by the end of the season to kind of figure it all out in our own heads, but that's just it. It was all headcanon mostly. We didn't have any real true definition as to what was going on. And that is the thing that I think that has bugged me the most. But overall, I really enjoyed the season. I really felt like that, for the most part, we, we were getting to see see Peter Capaldi go out on a high note. And, and for the most part, we were getting to see Stephen Moffat go out on a high note. It's just those little nitpicky things that i that i could pick out that i that i would have an issue with and and i know that not everybody sees every episode the same uh some people like certain episodes better than others um and some of us might like one episode better than someone else on this podcast you know and vice versa so like it is it is a, a matter of taste but i think for the most part this was a pretty good season. It was, it was a very enjoyable season. And there were some big highs in this season, like the backstory for the, the, the ice warriors and the backstory for the Mondasian Cybermen, just to name a couple that alone made this season worth it for me.
0: Nice. All right. Bill Potts is the new companion on the block. Brand new, obviously introduced for the series. What did you think about Bill and how did she work for you as a companion?
2: (laughs) i
1: am phil potts yes i waited yes. for you
2: yes
1: oh, oh dear <laughs> Shudder.
2: that is a legitimately heart-wrenching scene though when she when she is standing there as like i i at that point i'm thinking oh john they they did that they they went there like i knew that they went there when she comes stumbling out of the closet but that moment when She's speaking and it's being vocalized. It's like, oh, no, they didn't. Like, this isn't happening. Oh, it's not good. It was, well, well, well done. Well done.
0: But that was her, her sort of <laughs> finale there. Uh, what, what do we think about what about Bill? Who, who wants to go first? Oh.
3: Bill, for me, um, not my favorite companion. She started out strong with the first episode. I was actually really interested in the character. Thought they were, you know, coming at the the companion role with a, a little bit different of an angle with her. Um, but then her character got just really annoying to me. Um, she just seemed very... She was always questioning everything the Doctor did. She was always afraid of everything. She didn't seem like she was contributing much um, as the, the series went on. And although I will say that there was a bit of an upswing toward the end for her, it was like kind of little too little too late. And um, it may take a few rewatches for me to really appreciate her as a character but just with kind of watching through the season uh, initially, she definitely wasn't, you know, definitely wasn't my favorite companion of the modern series (laughs) by any stretch of the imagination.
1: Okay. I'll let you take it, Paul. (laughs) Me? Oh! yeah. I thought Bill was a breath of fresh air after uh, our last season that we had with Clara and and I'm not, like some people, I'm not a Clara hater. I just felt like that Clara should have Uh, Either left a season earlier or should have uh, been written completely differently after Capaldi came on the scene. Um, I felt like that with Bill coming in new, it really revived and refreshed the show because you didn't have this weight hanging over the situation anymore. Because that's what it started to feel like with Clara for me is it just felt like this weight hanging over your head in the show and everything was so heavy everything was dire and when bill came in it was like we got a fresh attitude we got a fresh face we've got someone who obviously is a very kind person a very interesting person you know and and it for me it just kind of felt like it was kind of giving the show a booster shot i just really loved the character of bill
2: um yeah i i So everything that Paul just mentioned, (laughs) I felt that way during the pilot Breath of Fresh Air. This looks like it's going to be incredible. But from that point forward, it felt like Bill was falling prey to what at least I felt like we saw so often with Capaldi's first and his second series where no one was entirely sure how they wanted to write him. And it all depended on the episode that they were writing at that point in time, that there wasn't this super cohesive Um, character being written, but it was somewhat fragmented. And ultimately, it leads to a good place, but it's just the the story is somewhat at odds and ends here and there. Now, to what Paul mentioned earlier, the idea of Am I a Good Man and Capaldi ending up being a good man, we get this very well-formed story arc at that point. Maybe if we had another entire series with bill we would have had this very well formed story arc. but i just it felt disjointed at times um definitely no knock against pearl mackie at who plays bill i think she did an incredible job with her display of emotion from episode to episode but that that same good natured not too heavy somewhat comical approach where she's bringing up netflix and sci-fi in um the pilot and then she does it again in the empress of mars and yet in other episodes, she's she's struggling with this horrible death concept, and she's afraid to, to face any consequences and not really sure who the doctor is. And then some episodes, she's totally on board with the doctor. And in the last four episodes, she's more like, okay, cool, I'm with the doctor. But it's, I don't know, it, it seemed like there wasn't this nice progressive story arc or character development, but it was more jumpy and fragmented. Maybe if we go back and we rearrange the episodes, we can find that. Um, But it, I mean, overall, she really is a good companion. It's just, I think the way that she was written, I'm still having a hard time piecing together. What was her development over the series or is she, or is there no development? And she was just a foil.
1: So you think some of the episodes feel like they were told out of order in a way, in a way. I think, I think if, if I was
2: looking for a good character development of bill, then I could probably find a way to put the stories in a different order to make a more cohesive arc for her. Not necessarily that the stories are out of order, just that her character is out of order, if that makes any sense. Okay.
0: I think what we see here is, and I've, I've been thinking about this for a while, is that I haven't actually said it. I think what we see here is sort of a, a return to form as far as a classic style companion. Because the classic companions, while they were great characters and stuff, they didn't generally have a lot of overarching stories centering around them no because that's not exactly how you told stories at that time you know there wasn't a lot of all the different subplots with all the different characters like what you get in the modern series where not only does the doctor have a storyline but so do the companions and i feel like she's sort of like hey let's do a throwback she even dresses kind of like she's in the 80s half the time mm-hmm. it's, it's one of those things where i feel she's a throwback in a way and that works both for and against her sometimes i think because you're right she doesn't have like a complete Storyline, She's got some complete story elements in the idea that, well, we see her get the photos from her mom, from the doctor in the pilot, and then that helps her retain her identity in order to, uh, you know, defeat the monks in, you know, the middle of the season. And then that's also what keeps her strong enough to retain her identity when she's cyber bill, you know, in the final episodes, you know, so it's, it's one of those things where we kind of see elements that continue on, but this isn't the end of her story. And whether or not we see the rest of her story, whether she, you know, stays with the doctor for another season, or whether she goes off with Heather to complete her story, we may just be getting a, a, a portion of, of Bill's story arc, and we may never see the whole, the whole of it. You know, it's one of those things where maybe we're getting a glimpse into her life at this point in time, and we don't get to see the conclusion, which is an interesting way to look at it, but also a frustrating situation, because you're like, but I want to see this character have a conclusion, an arc, a storyline, you know, it's one of those things. But I think personality-wise, she's fantastic, she's great, Um, She definitely great interaction and banter with Capaldi, uh, great chemistry between the two of them as, you know, doctor and companion. But I think you're right, Adam, there's some times where she's like, oh, you know, joking about Netflix and the Terminator and all this stuff, and then she's going, how many people have you killed? But it's all very dependent on the situation, the adventure they're going on. And it's almost like the Doctor's trying to get into adventures where, you know, serious things aren't necessarily all on the line. And I guess you are right. It's interesting, Adam, that you mentioned that she's almost trying to avoid consequences and, you know, things around death. When last season, Clara was just like, well, consequences be damned, sort of. And I'm going to be the Doctor and do whatever I want. Um, yeah. So. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, Bill and Clara are totally on different yeah. ends of the, the spectrum when it comes to companions that we've... Uh- we've had here recently um yeah i mean clara who i mean she's still hasn't faced the raven for for all we know that she's still floating around there with lady me
0: which frustrates me because they took an amazing risk it works so well and then they're like just kidding she's still alive sort of
2: yeah oh yeah totally i mean when paul said that he he wasn't a claire hater i wanted to insert, but we all wanted to see her die i mean because (laughs) truth be told that we we did we wanted to see that consequence play out yes yeah Um, nothing against her or 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 jenna coleman it's just that was an amazing risk um and here we are talking about series nine right no nope, no nope, <laughs> jump back to series 10 right bill pots uh, locating bill Potts.
0: although the, uh, and i think paul oh. and we talked about this briefly when we discussed the finale episode i think we all sort of knew going into bill's situation when she was a cyberman was that the doctor or something was going to happen and it was like well of course they're gonna find some way to, to get her out of this because clara got out of hers. So it it wasn't quite as suspenseful, I think, as it could have been if Clara had faced the Raven uh, in series nine.
1: Yeah, we we got a situation for me, at least, where it was like, okay, he didn't kill Clara, so he's not going to kill Bill. Talking about Stephen Moffat, you know. Um, And so I'm sitting there and I'm watching uh, the episode with my wife and my wife is freaking out because she says that Stephen Moffat's just heartless because of what he's done to Bill. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, but he didn't kill Clara, so I don't think he's going to kill Bill. I I've, I just felt like that we would have really had a completely different dynamic in the end of this season had it not been for what happened last season.
2: Yeah, I I guess maybe hope springs eternal for me when it comes to Moffitt because it, and it sounds silly to say hope springs eternal when I'm talking about death, but I I was convinced that Bill was a goner. I thought the way that it was progressing that it it was a done deal. Um I never once thought that after the doctor said there was no hope, um essentially he said there was no hope and then he said there was hope uh i thought you know what it's just gonna play out how it is um but then again i mean we we saw series nine with clara and sure enough they did it to us again Moffitt is just i mean that that's that's how he has written i'm wondering if is gonna give us something different
0: well and maybe we'll get um consistent story arcs because he wants to do sort of a, a writer's room sort of thing have everybody you know developing the story for the season as a whole together uh, rather than everybody doing their own individual episodes, so um, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. So it looks like Aaron's still having some issues, but we'll go ahead and continue to move on. I think we should um, move on to another character. Like we, we've we talked enough about Bill. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about Nardole because he was introduced to us way back with uh, the husbands of River Song, a sort of a slapsticky character, and then he came back for uh, Return of Doctor Mysterio. Then we got him as the valet, sort of for uh this season what did you think about Nardole and how he (laughs) he was in on
2: all this I'm gonna jump in because he was (laughs) he honestly was a consistent and constant highlight for me throughout the season um the fact that he's still somewhat of a mystery bugs me (laughs) that we don't know entirely who he is where he came from and what his entire story is um kind of kind of grates me but Honestly, that's that's kind of what his or who his character has been. So he was he was tops for me throughout the entire thing. The the way that he would just drop lines casually, his one liners. Um, it seems like in vast majority of the episodes, when he showed up, where he showed up, what he said, what he did in those moments, it was exactly what needed to be said or what needed to be done. I know Aaron had some thoughts um, in regards to his the the finale episode and some things with Nardal that probably could have been left out, but. I I I always enjoyed him. <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: he's he's definitely one of my favorite characters from this season. Um, I I love <laughs> Nardole, uh, and and the the moment where I cried in the finale was when he turns back to the Doctor and Cyber and says, "You know you're wrong. I don't think I'll ever find the words to say." Yeah. Right before he turns and walks out the door, and I'm like, "Oh, oh, you just you just killed yep. my heart. Yeah. and stabbed it with a rusty spoon over and over again, and oh."
2: See I was in that moment I thought like so okay full disclosure as everything's taking place Aaron sends me a message <laughs> and he says something to along the lines of like this is a very emotional episode so that was before I watched the episode. So as I'm watching the episode, I have that text in the back of my mind as far as like, okay, where are these emotions? Where are these emotions? At that moment, I was like, oh my goodness, it's ripping my heart out. This must be what Aaron's talking about. He was thinking of something entirely different. But that moment that you just mentioned tore my heart out oh, when Yardall yeah. says that. And the whole like goodbyes at that point. But I'm glad you brought it. Yeah. Uh,
0: it uh, ripped my soul out. Uh,
1: Paul, please rescue me. Okay. Okay. I told Jason this before. I love Nardole so much that I want for the writers to either a bring Nardole back, b have Nardole's brain brought in as a uh, a replacement for the Tin Dog because I think that I think that they could we could have Cyber <laughs> Nardole in the body of k <laughs> Nice. I think that would be really fun. Well, he's already an android, so... Or is he? That's the question, you know? Is he or is he not? Uh, well... We kept calling him Nardolstein through the the season because he's obviously been put back together by the Doctor using spare parts. So, you know, what is he exactly? Is he he an android? Is he uh, completely biological, just assembled by, you know, like, leftover body parts? Or what is he exactly, you know?
2: Yeah, and I mean the, the entire series you're waiting for some type of disclosure because from the very first moment he shows up and the screw hits the floor and he kicks the screw away, it's like, oh, they've just set up something right. that's gonna be revealed at some point during the series. Nope. They're just gonna keep dropping one-liners about how we have no idea who he right. is. And it just goes on like that. Like, what are our theories? He's handles, like he's a rebuilt handles? Like, is that I I'm just I don't know. There's He's gonna i I'm gonna give it two years. He's gonna have his own big finish audio at some point. <laughs>
1: that would <Yes>. be fantastic.
2: <laughs> Aaron, did
3: we get you back? Yeah, yeah. Yes, uh, it okay. was Nardo, I, I thought Nardle was great for the role that he played. You know, he kinda he was that secondary companion um that we get with different characters sometimes and I thought that he did really well playing off the doctor. He was much needed comic relief uh in certain episodes. Some of the best lines of the series were given to Nardo. Yes and um I'm going to miss the character. I mean, I think he's going to be one of those characters, though. I'm glad they didn't drag it out. I'm glad they didn't try to, you know, have him stick around. Um, I I think he's going to be one of those bright spots that we look back on and be like, oh, that was a really cool character that we got for a brief time Um, and maybe even some future opportunity to have him come back uh, in cameo from time to time. But I'm kind of glad he was just like a one-season thing.
0: Didn't overstay his welcome.
3: Yeah, keep it special.
0: There you go. All right, well, one of the big continuing... Ideas and stories throughout Series 10 was the whole vault Missy plotline that was going on. <laughs> First of all, how long was it before you figured out that it was Missy in the vault? Was it by episode
1: four? <laughs> 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 Second of all, did the whole storyline work for you? It did, but I felt like it was too brief, in my opinion. I felt like that if we were going to get that kind of an arc with a character like the master, it should have spanned at least two seasons. That's just my opinion. <laughs> I mean, I felt like that we, we got too much of a turnaround in one season is what I'm saying. I, I feel like that that it's going to take longer for a character like the Master to have a change of heart than just seven or eight episodes. That's just my opinion. Well, she's been sitting in the vault for <laughs> uh, you know centuries. Yeah, That's the way they get around that, right? Exactly. Uh, I'm just saying. For me personally, it just felt a little too fast. It... it uh, it just it was one of those those nitpicky things for me but i mean overall i did kind of like the direction that it took and i would really like to see uh, a continuation of that thought in a future season should we get the master back
2: yes it definitely was brief the whole vault thing wait i know i know when it kicked off when it got started i was thinking okay here's here's something that i really enjoy about doctor who we get a single element that's carried through every episode of the series it's going to be a mystery and then we'll get this huge reveal um only to have it revealed after four episodes and all of a sudden it's like oh okay that's who it is and in that moment at that time i was somewhat disappointed and i thought okay they they missed a huge opportunity here but how it moved forward from there to me it it didn't lose it didn't lose how special it was i don't know for me it worked once they once i got over that initial disappointment of i thought this was gonna last the entire series and now it's just done um, it allowed me to kind of engage with the idea of, okay, here's Missy um, it's not John, John Sim in the vault, so let me remove that and that spoiler from my mind, let me just move forward from there, and I thought it, it went forward really well, um, the different interactions with Missy at that point, I, I enjoyed again, it added another type of mysterious element um, along the same thread, it just wasn't the same thread
3: yeah, yeah it was, it was kind of, it worked and it didn't really, And I think the mystery of it worked really well uh, when they introduced the, this idea that the doctor has been at this university for 50 years, and part of the reason why he's staying there is because he's protecting this vault. I mean, that's such a, that's a really cool mystery. Uh, the payoff probably wasn't quite what I would have wanted. I think they tipped their hand a little bit with uh, with the master. You know, the, them making such a big deal about the master returning, both in Missy and John Sim form, that you kind of knew right away that it was something to do with the master with the vault like it was either john sim is in there or missy's in there uh some version of the master's in there i never really doubted that i know people were speculating different things like as crazy as like oh it's gonna be susan foreman like why would susan foreman be in the, the the vault you know don't
2: call me out like that aaron <laughs> don't call me out like that <laughs> <laughs> Grandfather. <laughs>
0: Grandfather. <laughs> oh dear
3: but yeah i mean i thought the there were some things tied to it that were really cool i like the idea of you know, the, of the doctor having to basically execute Missy. He had a you know, he had to be the one to kind of, uh, execute her, but he ends up showing her mercy and not, you know, completely killing her. And then instead puts her in the vault. I like that dynamic. I like that tie in to the vault. So, I mean, overall I thought it was, it was a pretty cool story element. It just didn't have the, like this huge payoff. Um, once, once you find out it's kind of Missy in there and you, you go in there, and there's a piano and it was just like, Oh, okay. <laughs>
0: um, do you believe she was really turning good?
3: I think that she... I think the story wants us to believe it. I think that the writers want us to believe it. In the end, she she proved that she was, you know... She turned around and was going to go help the doctor. I don't see any reason to think that at that point she was bluffing and then she ends up dying because of it. So I do think she really did turn good in the end. I have a hard time seeing how... it was kind of like the whole, like... How fast Anakin Skywalker turned to the dark side? and You're just kind of like, wait, what? Like I kind of <laughs> had that same, you know, issue with Missy's second Star Wars reference, oh. but <laughs> yeah, I just kind of had that with Missy too. Like me as a fan of the show and kind of knowing the character, it was I was like, no, she's not going to ever turn good. She because the Master is pure evil. Uh, but I think the writers did intend for it to be what happened, so I kind of have to just go with that.
1: Anybody else have thoughts on that? Well, I will say this. Looking back at the classic series, the the, the master in New Who has always been more evil in the way that he's he or she is depicted than he was in the classic series to a certain point. Because in the classic series, he was always out for his own self-interest, but he wasn't always out to massacre an entire planet or whatever. You know, he, he would rather rule whenever he possibly could. But, you know, when you get to John Sim, he's literally wants to see the world burn, you know. And so I think that it kind of gave us a little bit of a roller coaster ride because we went from a more uh, methodical master to a more crazy incarnation. And then back to, you know, from the craziness back to a more thoughtful type of character and for me personally i don't want to say necessarily that missy was turning good as much as i want to say that missy was remembering how to care about someone who cared about her because i feel like in the dark recesses of the master's little tiny shriveled up heart there's still some kind of love for the doctor from that childhood friendship you know and and so as, as long as they are enemies or frenemies or whatever you want to call it, I feel like that that's always kind of been there and always kind of been shoved back into the background until you get to John Sim where he just literally didn't care anymore.
2: I'm going to toss out there because I am a firm believer that this is a full redemption for for the Master, for Missy. And I think it sets up one of the, the more tragic elements um, of the finale where they have. I mean, the, the Doctor wants, he hopes against all hope that that Missy, the Master, his friend will return, that, that it has worked out, that Missy ends up being good and kind. And ultimately, that is what happens, but the Doctor never sees it. Right. And Missy dies in the woods by herself without the Doctor realizing that what he had tried to do, what his ultimate hope was, was actually was actually fulfilled. It, it had been realized. And I th- so probably similar to what Aaron says, the writers wanted that to be true. And therefore, I believe it to be true.
0: Yeah, no, I, I'm i definitely going to fall into that line as well. I think, I think whether good is such a strong word, she was definitely not evil. She was not bad anymore. She was trying to do the right thing. The big question is, however they decide to bring the master back, I'm very skeptical that we're going to see that thread continue over. Regenerations, especially ones that happen because of a violent death, never seem to turn out well for any Time Lord. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of, of mental scrambling that's going to completely wipe away any hope of a a Dr. Master team-up buddy cop episode that we're ever going to get in, in,
2: <laughs> in this show. That <laughs> brings up a question Aaron and I talked about. I don't know if we recorded it or if we were just talking off air. But is is Missy the final regeneration of the Doctor? You mean the Master? Yes, yes. No, the Doctor. Big reveal. Spoiler. <laughs> um, oh man, I there there is that
0: question. But you know, there's all sorts of theories, and and Paul brought this up last episode that you know, there's some theories out there that when the Doctor and Missy, you know, sort of grab each other's hands before she leaves him there at the farm, is that there was an exchange of the master's ring, in order to you know facilitate a future regeneration. My big th- thought is, uh, and I want to see if you guys have an idea of this. Early on in the finale, John Sim asks uh, Missy, "You know, why don't you remember any of this?" And she says, "Well, uh, the time streams are, are out of whack, so you're not going to remember this. So I can't remember this." But then she promptly turns around and yells in his face about some scary lady reminding him never to walk around without a spare dematerialization circuit in order so that she can have one to save their butts. And, um, you know, it makes me go, (laughs) okay, so how much of this do you actually remember, Missy? And if you remember getting shot in the back, were you prepared for it? Ah, There's all sorts of theories. And the Master has sort of died before anyways and come back every time uh, in the classic series so it's yeah i i think it'll be a little while before we see the master come back but i i would be shocked if the master never came back again
1: and we brought it up on our last episode how the master has stolen bodies before as well uh when he could not regenerate so there's also that so you're saying there's a chance oh (laughs) yes
2: yeah i I have no doubts that the master
3: will be back i think you know, this is, I mean, we've already seen Missy die once and they didn't really explain how she came back. She just did. <laughs> and even right. Moffat, I think, kind of said, like, we're not going to really explain how she's back, but she's back. And so I think that's going to be probably what happens when the Master does return. I don't think it'll be Michelle Gomez the next time we see the Master. No, no, no. But I think um, we will. I mean, that's such a, that's like saying, are we never going to see Daleks again? Are we never going to see Cyro again? There <laughs> are certain villains that are just a recurring that will always be a part of Doctor Who. There will be another Master um, and they probably will never explain how it just it'll happen. Right, the right. master will show up and we'll just have to accept I
0: it. I mean, it, it exactly, I was about to say, yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's it's the whole syndrome of and why do I have this cup of tea? I'm the doctor. That's why. You know, that's that's how that happens. <laughs> so it's like, um, oh man. Okay, so there were two really big storylines that happened in the, the season. Uh, we had the the monk trilogy that happened kind of in the middle, and then we had the two part finale. I want to get your thoughts on both of those stories, how they worked for you, did they work for you, and just your, your idea of, of how those stories impacted the season as a whole.
3: The Monk Trilogy was, and we had just talked about this in, in our last episode, so I apologize to any of our listeners that are tuning in to have to hear this repeated. <laughs> Me and Adam, I think, kind of agree on this. The, it started out really cool with the um, the first episode of that trilogy, they're really laying the groundwork for a potentially really great series of episodes or trilogy. Then it just kind of all fell flat for me. It just, it didn't, whatever foundation they put in that first episode was all it all crumbled by the second episode. And by the third episode, I was ready for it just to be over. So I did, that just wasn't, that completely fell flat for me, the Monk trilogy. Other than like a really cool alien design, and the uh, kind of interesting first episode beyond that, it wasn't my
2: favorite. Yeah, I'm a, uh, just echoing here. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Extremis. I thought that episode by itself was extremely strong. But you tack on the other two episodes, and that trilogy takes a very, very, very strong dip, almost a kid, to kill them, um, in my opinion. Like, that, those were... Those were some rough, rough episodes, but there are high points, right? A, a good, good alien design, an interesting concept of, of using time to your advantage to, to conquer a planet, a people, um, that said, if I could just like separate Extremis off by itself, even if it never ended and we don't get another episode that refers back to that for another three series, I would have been cool with that. Uh, the final two-parter, I loved it. I thought it was incredible. So many different high points. You threw Sim in there. You had the Cybermen, as we already talked about. A great, great story line there.
1: You know what we're going to find out, right? What are we going to find out? We're going to find out that the monks are actually what the Sandmen turn into in the future. (laughs) 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 Nice. That makes sense.
2: (laughs) I understand now. They were doing the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) If only I could have slept through that trilogy. <laughs> oh, my goodness.
1: Uh, oh, No, I, I'm probably not hating on the trilogy as much as you guys are, but it was not my favorite story arc of the season, um, and I kind of made that clear on our episode. I did give it a higher rating just because of the first two parts, which I enjoyed much more than the final part. But I felt like that, in my personal opinion, what we should have gotten in that was a two-parter that resolved itself in the second episode and then wait until the end of the season for a three-parter so that we could have a big grand finale, three-parter episode with the Mundassian Cybermen and the Master and all of that. I feel like that we would have gotten a much more enjoyable experience had they done that. Um, I just, I really enjoyed this, the second multi-part story much, much, much more than I did the first one.
0: I'm going to echo some of the thoughts. I think I think I'm the kindest on the the monk trilogy of out of all of us here. I think there are definitely elements that I, I liked quite a bit, but in retrospect, I do think it it kind of moves a little slowly and a lit a little bit aimlessly at times. Uh, I thought that uh, the whole idea of the <laughs> the whole idea of the regeneration <laughs> test that the doctor pulled, the stunt that he pulled. I, yeah. I, I know Paul hates that so much that made me angry. And I just sort of <laughs> sat there and was like, okay, uh, I'm watching the episode and I'm like, okay, I can either just sort of laugh at this and shrug it off or I can get angry and just be annoyed with with it. And I decided to laugh and shrug it off. Um, and I think that's sort of my whole approach to the the second half of that trilogy. I think I think there was some really good stuff at the beginning. Like you said, Extremist was one of the best episodes of the season. Um, and Oxygen sort of leads in nicely with the you know how, that's when the Doctor gets blinded. But um, I, I do think some of the the way it was wrapped up was a bit odd, um, even though it was there were some strong character moments for. Uh, some of the characters in there, even if the story itself didn't quite make enough sense. Um, But (laughs) that fake regeneration, were you guys buying it at all? I'm
3: with Paul. I I literally got angry at that. I just, (laughs) I don't know. To me, the the regeneration is a very unique thing that happens with, with the doctor. and I just didn't like it. I I didn't like seeing it used that way. I don't, I don't think that that's a good storytelling, you know, device. You know, to even if you're just using it as kind of a humor, a humorous thing. I just don't want it to be something where the doctor is going to start just like spouting off regeneration energy just for the fun of it. You know, it seems like that's supposed to be pretty precious. You know, if he can use it to heal, you know, River's arm, you know, maybe he should save it up so he can heal somebody else's arm later
1: or his
2: eyes. Mm-hmm. I know,
1: right? I have a question. Do you think this was actually put in there not just to mess with fans, but also? to remind everybody uh, that the doctor now has more control over his regeneration energy than he used to, since he has now started a new regeneration cycle or however many more regenerations he's been given, because he didn't have that kind of control before he became Peter Capaldi. And we've already seen him use that in Counting this time, I think, at least three different occasions since he became Peter Capaldi just at, 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 at will as opposed to the way that it used to be where he didn't have any control over it at all.
2: I think that might be giving it a little bit too much credit, in my opinion. I think, honestly, it's just a fun stick to pull off occasionally. Um, at least that that's what I'm thinking in my mind. I don't think its it was put in there to show any more control. Honestly, I'm, I'm a little bit puzzled as to why... I mean, they hadn't even explained up to that point to to Bill what our regeneration was. Right. Um, There's so many questions in my mind tied to that entire scene. I I was pretty upset about it too, just because again, it was it felt like a clever marketing tactic, right? That was the regeneration that we all saw in all the marketing material leading up to the season starting. Right. Um, It was just a fun way for them to to throw something out there that looked good in promo pics and on a a trailer. Yeah. That's true.
3: It was so Moffat. It's Moffat messing with people.
0: <laughs> Speaking I
3: of Moffat, with, with the, we're, if we're talking about the Monk Trilogy, there was that setup where we got, you know, kind of early on in the season the idea of, of Bill's mother and, you know, we see the photo and the doctor, you know, takes the photo for her and gives it to her and, you know, you're thinking, okay, this it's kind of like along the lines of the vault. You're thinking, okay, this might be something that's going to carry us on through the season. There's going to be this mystery about her mom and it's going to really becomes something important and then they turn it into a very what i like to call Moffitt moment where it's kind of like hey let's just all think happy thoughts and it's going to fix everything and in pertaining to her mother you know like think about your mother in this moment and her mom's face pops up on the screen and it's all cheesy and i thought that was a waste of a some potential story uh around the mother and um I was hoping there to be a, a different resolution for that.
2: I can I can totally understand that. I could see that. Yeah, I I think, and man, I'm, I feel like I'm hounding on these episodes way too much. There were just so many different <laughs> things that took place within this trilogy that was like, ooh, that was wasted, or oh, that could have been handled so much better. Uh, we we mentioned it, the risk that they took with making the doctor blind. Yeah, that was entirely a setup for this trilogy, and and I mentioned this in the past. Uh, episode that we did for bad wolf and to have it used in that way where it was it honestly comes down to him not being able to feel a lock (laughs) a digital lock like a huge moment where the doctor is blind and he's having to deal with all of these things and he's hiding it from everyone and to have it come down to just that moment and just to use it that way the the bill's mom and her picture and the the think happy thoughts and everything will reset itself and so many different little things that kind of hoping that it would become something else and yet it just kind of ends in that trilogy and it's like oh and even like this huge invasion force of the monks and they're going to defeat everybody and then it's just like oh it's over like that's not as frightening as I thought it was supposed to be
1: yeah that's true speaking of the blindness I know that I I watched uh, an interview with Stephen Moffat where he was talking about that that wasn't originally part of the season when they first started writing episodes for the season
2: yeah I saw that too
1: and that when, when he read the the script for oxygen and he saw that the doctor was supposed to be healed at the end of that story, he decided that he wanted to carry that theme over. Uh, when you saw this in the show, did it just make you angry or did it give you like something to think about? Like, cause it, for me personally, I was looking at it from the standpoint people kept, I kept seeing people online saying, why doesn't he just use his regeneration energy? Because he used it to heal river. well, in my personal headcanon, and we're you know, we're just talking about our own opinions here, my personal headcanon was that he knew how to use his regeneration energy to to help River, but he knew that if he was gonna heal himself, he would have to go through a full regeneration and he would have to become somebody else. Did you guys kind of see it the same way or did you think that it should have been something that he could have just healed on his own?
2: I once I saw that statement from Moffitt. It was like, ah, so much makes sense. Something that Aaron continually pointed out was, how in the world do his sunglasses help him to see? Well, now we know the answer because they never thought through it. They never <laughs> planned on any of that. Why didn't he use his regeneration <laughs> energy to heal his eyes? Well, because they never planned on him being blind in the first place. Like, all of these things were kind of half-baked into these, this episode, all because as they were starting to write it, Mafia was like, oh, you know what? It'd be cool if he just stayed blind. <laughs> and it's moments
0: like that where I'm like, I, I'm really glad for the idea that Chris Chibnall is considering doing a writer's room sort of setup um, for the next series because when that idea comes up they can go oh perfect let's rewrite the rest of these stories so that works
2: <laughs> you yeah know? exactly let's, Okay, <laughs> cool so if he's blind in this episode how does this work oh great thought never thought of that right
3: and after just watching the first season of Broadchurch um, I because of the fact that Chris Chibnall is the new showrunner and because of the next doctor and who they cast i watched the first scene i like i binged it and watched it like in three days um it's good it's really good it's soul it's soul sucking it's it it, it's like i felt depressed for three days after (laughs) watching it but i mean just looking at that show as my only example of of chibnall as a showrunner i'm fully expecting the tone of doctor who to change Mm -hmm. I, i can't see chibnall Coming in and doing a, a version of Doctor Who that looks anything like what Moffat has done, so I'm, the idea of a writers' room, or you know, the other thing we've heard is an ongoing story throughout the season as opposed to like individual stories each episode. I think that's an interesting idea that could work for Doctor Who, at least as an experimental thing for a season. So I'm, yeah, I'm super excited about what a new showrunner could bring. Because as much as I loved some of the things that Moffat brought to the table, and Nobody has nobody in all of Doctor Who has probably written better lines for the Doctor than Moffat has. There are some things about Moffat that I will not miss. And I think I'm definitely excited about uh, Chibnall's
0: take on, on everything. There's one thing about Steven Moffat, is, uh, if you're a Doctor Who fan, is you either love him or hate him. There's no in-between. And oftentimes it's both. Um, <laughs> <so> <laughs> depending on the episode and what he's doing, um, there's very little in-between on... Yeah, I guess Moffat's all right. You never hear anybody say that.
3: <laughs> he's written some of my favorite episodes of Doctor Who. I mean, if I if I go back and think of like some of my favorite episodes of all of the modern series, a handful of them are written by Moffat. You know, it's a, you know like I think Eleventh Hour was written by Stephen Moffat, right? I believe so. Which is like my hands-down favorite all-time Doctor Who. So I mean, he he brought us Matt Smith. You know, he brought us. You know, he's the one that brought us Capaldi. So there's you know he's he put his mark on Doctor Who. We cannot. You know, give the guy a hard time too much.
1: No, well, he you know? he did say himself that he enjoys messing with the stories and and adding twists to everything. He he wants to shake everything up, and and I think that to his credit, he has done a lot to change the the overall tone and everything of the show to the better for the most part, at least in my opinion.
2: Yeah, he definitely takes. Risks And some of those risks have turned into probably some of the more enjoyable elements of Doctor Who. Um, But it is interesting that some of the quotes from Chibnall is BBC is looking to take risks. And that's why I'm on board Um, when Moffat seems like he takes a lot of risks. But (laughs) Chibnall, maybe he's a, a different type of risk that the BBC is willing to bank on right now. Right. Yeah. Different directions, I'm sure.
0: Alright, so it wouldn't be a series recap if we didn't get everybody's least favorite and favorite episode of the season. I want to start with least favorite so we can get that out of the way and then we'll talk about everybody's favorite. Adam, what's your least favorite episode of the season? Put me
2: on the spot. I am. Now I need to remember what I said last episode we did.
3: <laughs> I was going to say, you better you better match oh, what dang. you said in ours.
2: I'm going to screw this up. No, my, my least favorite episode um, <laughs> if I had to just shoot from the hip would be a Pyramid at the End of the World. That is my least favorite episode. Pyramid at the End of the World. Midpoint of the Monk trilogy. That is, yeah, not not my favorite. <laughs> Echoing what I said, our episode. Not my favorite side characters ever. Not my favorite actors and actresses that played those side characters. Really weird CGI with submarines stuck in the sand and airplane dropped out of the sky. Yeah, not not my favorite. And the fact that that's the episode that Bill surrenders the world. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's my least favorite.
1: Um, I'm going to probably get uh, stoned here, but my least favorite for the entire season was Eaters of Light. It just Shame. wasn't my Shame. It, just, <laughs> it just wasn't my bag, you know. Um, there were some places in there where I felt like that there was more focus on the themes that were referred to in the story more so than the story itself, and we didn't get to see enough of the creature, we didn't get to see enough of the Action that I felt like we should have gotten to see in a creature, you know, storyline like that, a monster type storyline like that. And I felt like that it was more focusing on the whole story of diversity and things like that. And because I told Jason when we recorded our episode on this, I felt like it should have been titled, Why Can't We All Just Get Along? (laughs) And (laughs) so I, I just I kind of felt like that, you know, when when I'm watching an episode like that, that's supposed to be about a monster. I want it to be about the monster more so than, you know, whether or not these two factions are acting like a bunch of kids and trying to hit each other with sticks. That's just my personal opinion. Well,
0: in fairness, they were a bunch of kids trying to hit each other with sticks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but you get my point. I, I just felt like that that was just kind of my my personal opinion of which one was my least favorite for the season.
2: I like
3: Eaters of late. It wasn't my favorite, and it wasn't my least favorite. But my least favorite episode is going to be Smile. I think it just – it was just a very forgettable episode.
1: Oh.
3: Why? Is that somebody's favorite?
1: <laughs> it, no, but I liked it. You
3: liked it? Um, I mean, just the whole idea behind it, the, the idea that there's this culture that communicates in emojis. And I, I don't know. Like a lot of it to me just was really cheesy. And I think it was the second episode of the season, right? Yep. Yes. So it was – Coming off well, of the high
1: of. If you don't count the return of Dr. Mysterio. Wow.
0: Well, it's the Christmas special. You, you know. You don't.
1: <laughs> yes. It's the second episode of the season. So I, yeah, it was
3: because the pilot was, I enjoyed the pilot so much. And I had all these high hopes for where the season was going to go based on that first episode. And then the second episode was something like Smile. And just a lot of, a lot of that story just didn't work for me. And then even just the, how that story was resolved, kind of that push button, fix everything. Mm-hmm type of resolution is something i've never really liked in doctor who and it pops up here and there um so yeah smile for me was my least favorite although there were a couple other in the running
0: i am I'm, I'm i guess more positive than not on smile i thought it was a good enough episode it definitely seemed to be set up uh much long lines of a classic story um although i will say my least favorite is the episode that comes right after that being thin ice I think i've had more extreme emotions uh negative emotions about certain aspects of other episodes but thin ice is the most blasé i've ever been about an episode this (laughs) season and that's never Uh, a good thing i was like yeah it's okay it's there i I, literally i i could not conjure up very many strong emotions at all either direction about thin ice other than well i wish we had seen a little bit more of the monster and i guess it was pretty cool when the doctor punched the racist but other than that I'm like it uh, <laughs> it was just so ho hum to me that I'm like "Eh, come on
2: Jason, you view the death of orphan children's being ho hum?"
0: <laughs> it didn't have any lasting effect on anything. What was that kid's name? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Spider? <laughs>
3: spider. They killed Spider. <laughs> okay. I was surprised uh, they killed Spider the way they okay. did. That was pretty, you know, like a, a young oh. child like that dying in a very like I
0: mean, tragic is, way that was the biggest risk the episode took. And it was kind of impressive that they did that and kind of weird that they
1: did that at the same time. But I mean, let's see. I'm going to be the creepy guy on the show that says, I love the fact that they were willing to do that and kill a kid like that in such a creepy way. Mm. That was one of those
2: moments where it was like, (laughs) dang, they did that the second episode. What's coming down the road. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, (laughs) like I said, there's, there's moments that I was like, Oh, that's interesting. Um, But I mean, on the whole thin ice, I'm just so very, Mm, middle of the road, it makes no blip on the line at all sort of thing. Um, I can't conjure up emotions about thin ice. I just can't.
3: I just couldn't get over this, the steampunk scuba gear that <laughs> made no sense to me. The <laughs> oh. ability for the doctor to swim <laughs> oh. around in this you know, scuba gear that probably shouldn't have existed at the time and probably weighed about 600 pounds and he was able to just climb in and out of the ice. And just like, oh, this, this is...
0: Really bothered me. The best use of steampunk, though, was Empress of Mars with that spacesuit. Yeah,
3: steampunk spacesuit did work for me for whatever reason. That was an awesome spacesuit. Steampunk scuba gear, not so much.
0: All right, let's let's turn things around and let's come back at this favorite episode
2: of the season. World Enough in Time has an awesome title mm. and has Mister Razor and Bill got a hole punched through her body. Um, the start of the finale. I mean, in my mind, the list goes on and on as to why I love this episode surprised me at the end had the the cybermen which were legitimately scary Uh, we talked about that already but yeah that's that's my favorite episode of the series It, it is in my point the the pinnacle of probably all episodes that capaldi has had
1: i'm going to agree it's it's world enough in time for me as well um I just really, really loved how they brought back the Mondasian Cybermen and had it actually matter in the show, not be cheesy, not be hokey, literally give us a reason why they look the way they do and do it in such a creepy and fantastic way. I thought it was absolutely great. Um, now, my second runner-up for that would be Empress of Mars. I thought that was a really, really good episode, too.
3: Yeah, I agree with Adam and uh, Paul. And that episode is uh, a great episode of the season. Probably, you know, second or third favorite for me. I just I loved everything they did with the Mondays and Cyberman and the reveal of the Master and all of that was just so epic. But my favorite episode, I'm going to have to go back to the pilot. I think the very first episode of the season, uh, the way they set everything up with the Doctor being at the university and meeting Bill and the mystery of the vault and you know, Nardle returning and just, and we had talked about it before, how it felt almost like a soft reboot of Dr. Who, where they're, they're doing all kind of the explanation as to who the doctor is and he's meeting this new companion. And, um, if it was kind of a weird thing because it's the doctor who we had already seen two seasons of, but it felt like it was his first season, the way that they presented it. And I just really loved everything about that episode all the way down to the point where the doctor, you know, tries to like, you know, wipe her memory and doesn't necessarily (laughs) want her to to travel with him but then turns around and um, you know you have this epic scene of the of the uh, TARDIS sitting out there on the lawn with the forest in the background and the doors open you can kind of see you can peek in and see like it's bigger on the inside and just the something about that scene like literally gave me chills because it had been so long since we had seen Doctor Who we, we had to wait so long for the season to come back and that was the first episode that came back um, so everything about that first episode worked for me set the season in the right tone and, um, and then of course you have the tie in from you know the the puddle you know entity that bill falls in love with in that episode turns out to be pretty much what saves the doctor's life in the end uh, so i i like that big tie-in as well
0: at the risk of sounding completely unoriginal i'm going to go with world enough in time as well <laughs> the doctor falls and extremists <laughs> are like right there as well but uh, world enough in time just was such a good setup for the finale and it worked so well in in getting all the different players engaged where they needed to be for the finale to work as well as it did and it didn't have any missteps at all the dr falls may have been a little bit wordy at times may have been had a little bit of you know slight sidesteps along the way but it largely was very 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 good as well but world enough in time there were no sidesteps there were no slip-ups it was as perfect of an episode as you're going to get in doctor who i will say this one caveat i am predicting right now that i will probably like twice upon a time more than anything in this season. <laughs> but right now, where we're sitting at, I'm going to say World and Up in Time is my favorite episode as well. But the teaser trailer that we got for Twice Upon a Time has me so freaking excited. I cannot wait for Christmas. Oh, yeah. uh,
3: <laughs> do you guys think that with the reveal that Bill will be appearing in the Christmas special, do we get a Bill who is an all-powerful entity, or do we get a Bill who has returned to her human form?
0: Um, I think we'll get a Bill somewhere in the middle. I think she'll have some sort of power to come and go without need of, like, you know, the TARDIS or something like that. But I think she'll be largely a human Bill. Uh, she strikes me as someone who, who wouldn't want to use the unlimited power. The UNLIMITED POWER at her disposal. <laughs> there we go. Star Wars reference number three. But uh, I think she'll be largely uh, human in this case because she's a very human person that we had during the the show. And will Clara finally face the Raven? God, I hope so.
3: It's interesting that both of his companions now have the ability to travel through space and time at their will. It makes it convenient for both of them to make an appearance at the end, because both, you know, Clara brings her Diner TARDIS, and, um, and Bill just, you know, hops over there because she can do whatever she wants now, because she's a puddle entity. So, you know, I would be very curious to see what their roles are, if Clara appears. I think that's the big rumor. And we know Bill's going to be there, but is it kind of the typical thing we've gotten with former companions where it's just kind of like, hey, you know, show up for one second and say goodbye to the doctor? Or does Bill actually play a role in the story? That's that's what I'm really curious to see.
0: Um, well, I mean, they, they titled her in the trailer, so, you know, I'm guessing she'll have a little bit more to do. But I think it's primarily going to be a buddy film with 12 and one with Mark Gatus tagging along for the ride being the tin dog of sorts.
1: <laughs> well, you know, we we also got that fake regeneration in the trailer too, so <laughs> <laughs> gotta love the trailer. <laughs>
2: I think just knowing that just what we know of the characters, Bill and then Clara as companions, I have a feeling that Bill probably I don't know, I have a sneaking suspicion that she's gonna be human. She's gonna be herself. Yeah. I think she is grounded enough in who she is as an individual and happy enough with who she is as an individual that she will go back to who she was as an individual whereas Clara last time we saw her she was getting ready to fly around in her own TARDIS as her own doctor and I think that's where she's going to be I don't see her ever facing the raven and I I honestly don't think they'll ever answer that question here's a thought though she's supposed to be like plucked out of time you know a
0: heartbeat away from facing the raven so to speak so she's basically you know frozen in time there at that moment that she's sort of walked away from. And here we see a moment where we have a situation where people are frozen in time. What mm-hmm. wonder if there's a connection and maybe she'll have to go face the raven in order to set things right. <gasps> that would be lovely. <laughs> I would actually <laughs> love
3: that tie-up. I don't know if they're going to go there. It seems a little far-fetched that they would you know, kind of dig back into a story that's been so long gone. Right. To kind of give us resolution. But you never know. I never expected they'd bring back the you know the pilot for the final episode of the season either that was a complete surprise so you never know with Moffat that it could be something where he's like hey this would be a perfect opportunity for us to give us a, give a little bit of closure to Clara's story as well I'm curious Adam because you said you thought Bill was gonna be back human do you think she will actually be human again or do you think she's just gonna be acting
2: human? Nah, I think I think it I mean the very the very fact that she asked right the very fact that she asked in the final episode of the series will I be like you or, and the puddle (laughs) Heather tells her, no, I, I mean, you're just matter. I can make you human. I think that Bill is ultimately going to choose that direction. Okay.
3: That's what I, that's kind of what I was getting at when I initially asked the question. And I, I actually agree with you, Adam. I think she will have chosen by the time we see her again, she will have chosen to re regain her human form and will no longer be with Heather.
2: And honestly, I, I mentioned earlier in the episode that she doesn't have this like clean story arc. If that's where she ends, I think I will feel a heck of a lot better about her story if that's the end that they give her. I can agree with that.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, I can go there. I think that's going to wrap up our discussion here, folks. Uh, Adam and Aaron, thank you so much for for joining us uh, for this episode. Yes. Um, Please, please give all of our listeners ways to get in contact with you because you guys in addition to listening to talking timers you should also be listening to bad wolf radio so where can people find bad wolf radio
3: uh, you can find us on itunes is probably the easiest place you search for us on itunes bad wolf radio colon a doctor who podcast there's actually another one out there called bad wolf radio that's from like 2005 that only ever did four episodes so that's not us we're the one that has like 72 episodes but uh, the regeneration they regenerated into us. So, yeah, you can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Facebook. We have a Facebook group uh, similar to what you guys do with your listeners as well. So, if anybody uh, wants to cross over and jump into our group as well, um, feel free to do that. We'd love to have the conversation going um, with listeners of this show as well. Um, And what else, Adam? We got a Twitter at at Bad Wolf Podcast. We're on Instagram at Bad Wolf Radio on Instagram. There you go. Did I get everything?
2: Uh, always send us an email, badwolfpodcast at gmail.com, and you can always find us over at the Pod Tyrant Network over at Geek Tyrant. Yes. There you go. Um, And of course, for us, you can
0: find links to all of our social media and previously released episodes at our website which is talkingtimelords.com facebook is facebook.com slash talking timelord uh twitter is at talking Time Lord, because talking timelords was one character too long uh or you can email us at talkingtimelords at gmail.com of course please leave ratings and reviews for both of our podcasts on itunes and wherever else you find the podcast because that would be awesome
1: yes I'm gonna plug all of that Adam, Aaron, I still haven't forgotten uh, the fact that you said that I should figure out a way to make you guys Photoshopped into Doctor's outfits, so I might just be playing around with that at some point. We did. (laughs) Oh, dang.
2: I have no memory of this.
1: (laughs) But I would love to see this. There you go. Maybe we'll get some... presents for you guys on one of these days uh, like that that'll be fun you don't remember saying that you should get us to make images for you guys uh at some point it was three or four episodes ago on your podcast actually
2: oh really <laughs> <laughs> our time streams are too close together right now we have no memory of this happening
0: <laughs> oh my gosh and before the time streams get any more tangled i think we're gonna wrap up this episode so Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of Talking Time Lords. This has been episode number 79, Series 10 Recap. For Paul, I'm Jason. And for Adam and Aaron from Bad Wolf Radio, remember until next time, may you hope far flung hopes and dream
1: impossible dreams. Thanks, everybody. Later
2: days.
1: Later days. Now I need to go back and listen to our podcast.
0: Talking Time Lords is a proud member of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Visit thunderquack.com to see their entire catalog of podcasts, or visit patreon.com slash thunderquack to help support the shows.